Act Two of Engaged by W. S. Gilbert. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Scene, Double Drawing Room in Simperson's House. Indications that a wedding is about to take place. A plate of tarts and a bottle of wine on table. Enter Minnie Simperson in wedding dress, followed by Parker, her maid, holding her train. Take care, Parker. That's right. There. How do I look? Beautiful, miss. Quite beautiful. Minnie, earnestly. Oh, Parker, am I really beautiful? Really, really beautiful, you know? Oh, miss, there's no question about it. I do so hope you and Mr. Cheviot Hill will be happy. Oh, I'm sure we shall, Parker. He has often told me that I am the tree upon which the fruit of his heart is growing, and one couldn't wish to be more than that. And he tells me that his greatest happiness is to see me happy. So it will be my duty, my duty, Parker, to devote my life, my whole life, to making myself as happy as I possibly can. Enter Simperson, dressed for wedding. So my little lamb is ready for the sacrifice. You can go, Parker. And I am to lose my pets at last. My little dicky bird is to be married today. Well, well, it's for her good. I must try and bear it. I must try and bear it. And as my dear old papa comes into a thousand pounds a year by it, I hope he won't allow it to distress him too much. He must try and bear up. He mustn't fret. My child, I will not deny that a thousand pounds a year is a consolation. It's quite a fortune. I hardly know what I shall do with it. I think, dear Papa, you will spend a good deal of it on brandy, and a good deal more on billiards, and a good deal more on betting. It may be so. I don't say it won't. We shall see, Minnie, we shall see. These simple pleasures would certainly tend to soothe your poor old father's declining years. And my darling has not done badly either, has she? No, dear Papa, only fancy. Cheviot has two thousand pounds a year from shares in the Royal Indestructible Bank and don't spend two hundred pounds. By the by, I'm sorry that my little bird has not contrived to induce him to settle anything on her. That, I think, was remiss of my tomtit. Dear Papa, Cheviot is the very soul of honour. He's a fine, noble, manly-spirited fellow, but if he has a fault, it is that he is very, oh, very, very stingy. He would rather lose his heart's blood than part with a shilling unnecessarily. He's a noble fellow, but he's like that. 
still i can't help feeling that if my robin had worked him judiciously papa dear cheviot is an all but perfect character the very type of knightly chivalry but he has faults and among other things he's one of the worst-tempered men i ever met in all my little life poor simple little minnie thought the matter over very carefully in her silly childish way and she came to the conclusion in her foolish little noodle that on the whole perhaps she could work it better after marriage than before well well perhaps my wren is right rises don't laugh at my silly little thoughts dear papa when i say i'm sure she is minnie my dear daughter take a father's advice the last he will ever be entitled to give you if you would be truly happy in the married state be sure to have your own way in everything brook no contradictions never yield to outside pressure give in to no arguments admit no appeal however wrong you may be maintain a firm a resolute and determined front these were your angel mother's principles through life and she was a happy woman indeed i neglected those principles and while she lived i was a miserable wretch papa dear i have thought over the matter very carefully in my little baby noodle and i have come to the conclusion don't laugh at me dear papa that it is my duty my duty to fall in with cheviot's views in everything before marriage and cheviot's duty to fall into my views in everything after marriage i think that is only fair don't you yes i dare say it will come to that don't think me a very silly little goose when i say i'm sure it will quite quite sure dear papa quite exit minnie dear child dear child i sometimes fancy i can see traces of her angel mother's disposition in her yes i think i think she will be happy but poor cheviot oh lor poor cheviot dear me it won't bear thinking of enter mr Hearn, unobserved she is dressed in stately and funereal black come here manservant approach i'm not going to bite you can i see the fair young thing they call minnie simpson well really i can hardly say there's nothing wrong i hope nothing wrong oh thoughtless frivolous light-hearted creature oh reckless old butterfly nothing wrong you've eyes in your head a nose on your face yes on each side of it a brain of some sort in your skull have you not butler undoubtedly but i beg to observe that i am not the have you or have you not the gift of simple apprehension can you or can you not draw conclusions go to go to you offend me simperson aside 
There is something wrong, and it's here. Touching his forehead. I'll tell her you're here. Whom shall I say? Say that one on whose devoted head the black sorrows of a long lifetime have fallen, even as a funeral pall, craves a minute's interview with a dear old friend. Do you think you can recollect that message, butler? I'll try, but I beg, I beg to observe, I'm not the butler. Aside. This is a most surprising young person. Exit. At last I'm in my darling's home, the home of the bright plight caroling thing that lit, as with a ray of heaven's sunlight, the murky gloom of my miserable school days. But what do I see? Tarts, ginger wine. They are rejoicings of some kind afoot. Alas, I am out of place here. What have I in common with tarts? Oh, I am ill-attuned at a scene of revelry. Takes a tart and eats it. Enter Minnie. Belinda! They rush to each other's arms. Minnie, my own long-lost lamb, this is the first gleam of joy that has lied at my darksome course this many and many a day, and in spite of the change that time and misery have brought upon me, you knew me at once. Eating the tart all this time. Oh, I felt sure it was you from the message. How wondrously fair you have grown, and this dress. Why, it is surely a bridal dress. Those tarts, that wine. Surely this is not your wedding day. Yes, dear. I shall be married in half an hour. Oh, strange chance. Oh, unheard of coincidence. Married. And to whom? Oh, to the dearest love, my cousin, Mr. Cheviot Hill. Perhaps you know the name. I have heard of the Cheviot Hills somewhere. Happy, strangely happy girl. You, at least, know your husband's name. Oh, yes, it's on all his pocket handkerchiefs. It is much to know. I do not know mine. Have you forgotten it? No, I never knew it. It is a dark mystery. It may not be unfathomed. It is buried in the fathomless gulf of the eternal past. There let it be. Oh, tell me all about it, dear. It is a leery tale. Three months since I fled from a hated one who was to have married me. He pursued me. I confided my distress to a young and wealthy stranger. Acting on his advice, I declared myself to be his wife. He declared himself to be my husband. We were parted immediately afterwards, and we have never met since. But this took place in Scotland, and by the law of that remarkable country, we are man and wife. Though I didn't know it at the time. What fun! Fun! Say rather horror, distraction, chaos. I am rent with conflicting doubts. Perhaps he was already married. In that case, I am a bigamist. Maybe he is dead. In that case, I am a widow. Maybe he is alive. In that case, I am a wife. What am I? Am I single? Am I married? Am I a widow? Can I marry? Have I married? May I marry? Who am I? Where am I? What am I? What is my name? What is my condition in life? If I am married, to whom am I married? If I am a widow, how came I to be a widow, and whose widow came I to be? Why am I his widow? What did he die of? Did he leave me anything? If anything, how much? And is it settled with conditions? Can I marry again without forfeiting it? 
have i a mother-in-law have i a family of stepchildren and if so how many and what are their ages sexes sizes names and dispositions these are questions that rack me night and day and until they are settled peace and i are not on terms poor dear thing but enough of my selfish sorrows goes up to table and takes a tart minnie is annoyed at this tell me about the noble boy who is about to make you his has he any draughts i don't know secretly removes tarts to another table close to door i never thought of asking i'm such a goose but papa knows have those base and servile things called settlements been satisfactorily adjusted eating i don't know it never occurred to me to inquire but papa can tell you the same artless little soul minnie standing so as to conceal tarts from belinda yes i am quite artless quite quite artless but now that you are here you will stay and see me married i would willingly be a witness to my darling's joy but this attire is perhaps scarcely in harmony with the scene of revelry well dear you're not a cheerful object and that's the truth and yet these charnel-house rags may serve to remind the thoughtless banqueters that they are but mortal i don't think it will be necessary to do that dear papa sherry will make that quite clear to them then i will hie me home and array me in garments of less sombre hue i think it would be better dear those are the very things for a funeral but this is a wedding i see very little difference between them but it shall be as you wish though i have worn nothing but black since my miserable marriage day's breakfast i suppose yes at dear cheviot's house that is well i shall return in time for it thank heaven i can still eat takes a tart from table and exit followed by minnie enter cheviot hill he is dressed as for a wedding here i am at last quite flurried and hot after the usual row with the cabman just when i wanted to be particularly calm and self-contained i got the best of it though dear me this is a great day for me a great day where's minnie i wonder arraying herself for the sacrifice no doubt poof this is a very nervous occasion i wonder if i'm taking a prudent step marriage is a very risky thing it's like chancery once in it you can't get out of it and the costs are enormous there you are fixed fifty years hence if we're both alive there we shall both be fixed that's the devil of it it's an unreasonably long time to be responsible for another person's expenses i don't see the use of making it for as long as that it seems greedy to take up half a century of another person's attention besides one never knows one might come across somebody else one liked better that uncommonly nice girl i met in scotland for instance no no i shall be true to my minnie quite true i am quite determined that nothing shall shake my constancy to minnie enter parker what a devilish pretty girl parker aside he's a mean young man but he ought to be good for half a crown to-day come here my dear uh how do i look very nice indeed sir what really really what 
tempting, eh? Very tempting indeed. Ha! The married state is an enviable state, Parker. Is it, sir? I hope it may be. It depends. What do you mean by it depends? You're a member of the Church of England, I trust. Then don't you know that in saying it depends you are flying in the face of the marriage service? Don't go and throw cold water on the married state, Parker. I know what you're going to say. It's expensive. So it is, at first very expensive. But with economy you soon retrench that. By a beautiful provision of nature, what's enough for one is enough for two. This phenomenon points directly to the married state as our natural state. Oh, for that matter, sir, a tigress would get on with you. You're so liberal, so gentle, so... Uh, there's only one word for it. Dove-like. What? You've remarked that, eh? Ha <laughs> ha. But dove-like as I am, Parker, in some respects yet... Getting his arm round her. In other respects... Aside. Deuced pretty girl. In other respects, I am a man, Parker, of a strangely impetuous and headstrong nature. I don't beat about the bush. I come quickly to the point. Shall I tell you a secret? There's something about you. I don't know what it is that, in other words, you are the tree upon which... No, no, damn it, Cheviot. Not today, not today. What a way you have with you, sir. What? You've noticed that, have you? Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, I have a way, no doubt. It's been remarked before. Whenever I see a pretty girl, and you are a very pretty girl, I can't help putting my arm like that. Putting it round her waist. Now, pleasant as this sort of thing is, and you find it pleasant, don't you? Parker nods. Yes, you find it pleasant. Pleasant as it is, it is decidedly wrong. It is decidedly wrong in a married man. It is decidedly wrong in a married man. In a married man it's abominable, and I shall be a married man in half an hour. So, Parker, it will become necessary to conquer this tendency, to struggle with it and subdue it, in half an hour. Getting more affectionate. Not that there's any real harm in putting your arm round a girl's waist. Highly respectable people do it, when they waltz. Yes, sir, but then a band's playing. True, and when a band's playing, it don't matter. But when a band is not playing, why, it's dangerous, you see. You begin with this, and you go on from one thing to another, getting more and more affectionate, until you reach this stage. Kissing her. Not that there's any real harm in kissing, either. For you see fathers and mothers who ought to set a good example— Kissing their children every day. Lord, sir, kissing's nothing. Everybody does that. That is your experience, is it? It tallies with my own. Take it that I am your father, you are my daughter. Or take it even that I am merely your husband and you my wife. And it would be expected of me. Kissing her. But I'm not your wife, sir. No, not yet. That's very true, and, of course, makes a difference. That's why I say I must subdue this tendency. I must struggle with it. I must conquer it. In half an hour. Minnie, without. Parker! Where's Mr. Cheviot? There is your mistress, my dear. She's coming. Will you excuse me? Releasing her. Thank you. Good day, Parker. 
Parker, disgusted. Not so much as a shilling, and that man's worth thousands. Exit Parker. Enter Minnie. My darling Minnie, my own, own to come. Kissing her. Oh, you mustn't crush me, Cheviot. You'll spoil my dress. How do you like it? It's lovely. It's a beautiful material. Yes, dear Papa's been going it. Oh, but you're indebted to me for that beautiful dress. To you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I said to your Papa, now do for once let the girl have a nice dress. Be liberal, buy the very best that money will procure. You'll never miss it. So, thanks to me, he bought you a beauty. Seventeen and six a yard, if it's a penny. Dear me, to think that in half an hour this magnificent dress will be my property. Yes, dear Papa said that as you had offered to give the breakfast at your house, he would give me the best dress that money could procure. Yes, I did offer to provide the breakfast in a reckless moment. That's so like me. It was a rash offer, but I've made it, and I've stuck to it. Oh, then there's the cake. Oh, tell me all about the cake. It's a very pretty cake. Very little cake is eaten at a wedding breakfast, so I've ordered what's known in the trade as the three-quarter article. I see. Three-quarters cake, and the rest wood. No. Three-quarters wood, the rest cake. Be sure, my dear, you don't cut into the wood, for it has to be returned to the pastry-cook to be filled up with cake for another occasion. I thought at first of ordering a seven-eighths article, but one isn't married every day. It's only once a year. I mean, it's only now and then. So I said, hang the expense. Let's do the thing well. And so it's a three-quarters. How good you are to me. We shall be very happy, shall we not? I, I hope so. Yes, I hope so. Playfully happy, like two little kittens. That will be delightful. Economically happy, like two sensible people. Oh, we must be very economical. No vulgar display, no pandering to a jaded appetite. A refined and economical elegance. That is what we must aim at. A simple mutton-chop, nicely broiled for you. And two simple mutton-chops, very nicely broiled for me. And some floury potatoes. A loaf of nice household bread. A stick of celery. And a bit of cheese, and you've a dinner fit for a monarch. Then how shall we spend our evenings? We'll have pleasant little fireside games. Are you fond of fireside games? Oh, they're great fun. Then we'll play at tailoring. Tailoring? I don't think I know that game. It's a very good game. You shall be the clever little jobbing tailor, and I'll be the particular customer who brings his own materials to be made up. You shall take my measure, cut out the cloth, real cloth, you know, stitch it together, and try it on. And then I'll find fault like a real customer, and you shall alter it until it fits. And when it fits beautifully, that counts one to you. Delightful! Then there's another little fireside game, which is great fun. We each take a bit of paper and a pencil, and try who can jot down the nicest dinner for ninepence. And the next day, we have it. 
Oh, Cheviot, what a paradise you hold open to me. Yes. How's Papa? He's very well and very happy. He's going to increase his establishment on the strength of the one thousand pounds a year and keep a manservant. I know. I've been looking after some servants for him. They'll be here in the course of the morning. A cook, a housemaid, and a footman. I found them through an advertisement. They're country people and will come very cheap. How kind and thoughtful you are. Oh, Cheviot, I'm a very lucky girl. Exit, Minnie. Yes, I think so, too. If I can only repress my tendency to think of that tall girl I met in Scotland. Cheviot, my boy, you must make an effort. You are going to be married, and the tall girl is nothing to you. Enter Parker. Please, sir, here's a gentleman to see you. Oh, my solicitor, no doubt. Show him up. And please, some persons have called to see you about an advertisement. Oh, Simperson's servants, to be sure. Show up the gentleman and tell the others to wait. Exit, Parker. Enter Belvani. He looks very miserable. Belvani? This is unexpected. Much confused. Yes, Chavoy. At last we meet. Don't, oh, don't frown upon a heartbroken wretch. Belvani, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I will not disguise from you that, not having seen you for three months, I was in hopes that I had got rid of you forever. Oh, Chavoy, don't say that. I am so unhappy, and you have it in your power to make me comfortable. Do this, and I will bless you with my latest breath. It is a tempting offer. I am not proof against it. We all have our price, and that is mine. Proceed. Mr. Hearn, Belinda, whom I love so dearly, won't have anything to say to me. It does her credit. She's a very superior girl. It's all through you, Chavoy. She declares that the mutual declaration you made to protect her from McGillicuddy amounts to a Scotch marriage. What? She declares she is your wife. She professes to love me as fondly as ever, but a stern sense of duty to you forbids her to hold any communication with me. Oh, but this is absurd, you know. Of course it is, but what's to be done? You left with Simperson immediately after making the declaration. As soon as she found you were gone, she implored me to tell her your name and address. Of course I refused, and she quitted me, telling me that she would devote her life to finding you out. But this is simple madness. I can't have it. This day, too, of all others. If she'd claimed me last week... Or even yesterday, I wouldn't have minded, for she's a devilish fine woman. But if she were to turn up now... Allowed. Belvani, my dear friend, tell me what to do. I'll do anything. It seems that there's some doubt whether this cottage, which is just on the border, is in England or Scotland. If it is in England, she has no case. If it is in Scotland, I'm afraid she has. I've written to the owner of the property to ascertain, and if, in the meantime, she claims you, you must absolutely decline to recognize this marriage for a moment. Not for one moment. It was a mere artifice to enable her to escape from McGillicuddy. Nothing more. 
It's monstrous, perfectly monstrous, that that should constitute a marriage. It's disgraceful. It's abominable. Damn, Chavoy, it's immoral. So it is. It's immoral. That settles it in my mind. It's immoral. You're quite sure you'll be resolute, Chavoy? Resolute? I should think so. Why, hang it all, man, I'm going to be married in twenty minutes to Minnie Simperson. What? Cheviot, confused at having let this out. Didn't I tell you? I believe you're right. I did not tell you. It escaped me. Oh, yes, this is my wedding day. Chavoy, you're joking. You don't mean this. Why, I shall lose a thousand pounds a year by it. Every penny I have in the world. Oh, it can't be. It's nonsense. What do you mean by nonsense? The married state is an honorable estate, I believe. A man is not looked upon as utterly lost to all sense of decency because he's got married, I'm given to understand. People have been married before this and have not been irretrievably tabooed in consequence, unless I'm grossly misinformed. Then what the dickens do you mean by saying nonsense when I tell you that I'm going to be married? Chavoy, be careful how you take this step. Beware how you involve an innocent and helpless girl in social destruction. What do you mean, sir? You cannot marry. You are a married man. Come, come, Belvani. This is trifling. You are married to Miss Traherne. I was present and can depose to the fact. Oh, you're not serious. Never more serious in my life. But, as you very properly said just now, it was a mere artifice. We didn't mean anything. It would be monstrous to regard that as a marriage. Damn, Belvani, it would be immoral. I may deplore the state of the law, but I cannot stand tamely by and see it deliberately violated before my eyes. But, Belvani, my dear friend, reflect. Everything is prepared for my marriage at a great expense. I love Minnie deeply, devotedly. She is the actual tree upon which the fruit of my heart is growing. There's no mistake about it. She is my own to come. I love her madly, rapturously. Going on his knees to Balvorny. I have prepared a wedding breakfast at a great expense to do her honor. I have ordered four flies for the wedding party. I have taken two second-class cook's tourist tickets to Ilfracombe. Devon, Exeter, Cornwall, Westford Ho, and Bidford Bay. The whole thing has cost me some twenty or twenty-five pounds, and all this will be wasted, utterly wasted, if you interfere. Oh, Belvani, dear Belvani, let the recollection of our long and dear friendship operate to prevent your shipwrecking my future life. <laughs> I have a duty to do. I must do it. But reflect, dear Belvani, if I am married to Miss Traherne, you lose your income as much as if I married Minnie Simperson. No doubt, if you could prove your marriage to Miss Traherne, but you can't. With melodramatic intensity. Those eyes. You don't know where she is. With fiendish exultation. Oh, those eyes. The cottage has been pulled down, and the cottagers have emigrated to Patagonia. Oh, those eyes!
I'm the only witness left. I can prove your marriage if I like, but you can't. <laughs> it's a most painful and unfortunate situation for you. And believe me, my dear Shavoy, you have my deepest and most respectful sympathy. Exit Balvoni. This is appalling, simply appalling. A cup of happiness dashed from my lips just as I was about to drink a lifelong draught. The ladder kicked from under my feet just as I was about to pick the fruit of my heart from the tree upon which it has been growing so long. I'm a married man. More than that, my honeymoon's passed and I never knew it. Stop a moment, though. The bride can't be found. The cottage is pulled down and the cottagers have emigrated. What proof is there that such a marriage ever took place? There's only Belvani, and Belvani isn't a proof. Corroborated by the three cottagers, his word might be worth something. Uncorroborated, it is worthless. I'll risk it. He can do nothing. The bride is nowhere. The cottagers are in Patagonia, and... At this moment, Mrs. McFarlane, Maggie, and Angus appear at the back. They stand bobbing and curtsying in rustic fashion to Cheviot, whom they do not recognise. He stares aghast at them for a moment, then staggers back to Sofa. The man, the woman, and the girl, by all that's infernal. Good day, sir. We've just called to see you about the advertisement. Producing paper. I don't know you. I don't know you. Go away. Cheviot buries his head in a newspaper and pretends to read on sofa. Ah, sir, you said that we were to call on you this day at eleven o'clock, and so we've come all the way for Dumfries to see you. I tell you, I don't know you. Go away. I'm not at all well. I'm very ill, and it's infectious. We fear no illness, sir. This is Mistress McFarlane, the good old mither who'll cook the bruise and boil the parritch, and sit with ye, and nurse ye through your illness till the sad day ye dee. Wiping his eye. Cheviot pokes a hole with his finger through newspaper and reconnoitres unobserved. And this is Meg, my aimless Meg. Cheviot aside. Attractive girl, very. I remember her perfectly. And this is Angus McAllister, who's going to marry her, and who'll be mere than a son to me. Oh, mither, mither, dinna say it, for ye bring the teardrop to my e, and it's no canny for a strong man to be blithering and sowing like a poor weak lassie. Wiping his eye, Angus and Mrs. McFarlane sit. Maggie advances to hole in newspaper and peeps through. Oh, mither, mither! Staggers back into Angus's arms. What is it, Mag? Mag! Me wee-loved Mag! My wee wifey that is to be! Tell me what's wrong with thee! Oh, mither, it's him! The noble gentleman I plighted my troth to three weary months agone! The gallant Englishman who gave Anglis twa golden pounds to give me up. It's the coward Sassanash, who well nigh broke our Meg's head. Malaise, Malaise, then greet. Maybe he'll marry you yet. 
Cheviot, desperately. Here's another. Does anybody else want to marry me? Don't be shy. You, ma'am. To Mrs. McFarlane. You're a fine woman. Perhaps you would like to try your luck. Ah, sir, I dinna ken your name, but your bonny face has lived in my own twain, sleeping and waking three weary, weary months. Oh, sir, ye shouldna have deceived a trustin' simple lowland lassie. Twas now we'll done. Twas now we'll done. Weeping on his shoulder, he puts his arm round her waist. Cheviot, softening. My good girl, what do you wish me to do? I remember you now perfectly. I did admire you very much. In fact, I still do. You're a very charming girl. Let us talk this over, calmly and quietly. Maggie moves away. No, you needn't go. You can stop there if you like. There, there, my dear. Don't fret. Aside. She is a very charming girl. I almost wish I... I really begin to think I... No, no. Damn it, Cheviot, not today. Oh, Mither, he told me he loved me. So I did. The fact is, when I fell in love with you... Don't go, my pretty bird. I quite forgot that I was engaged. There, there. I thought at the time that you were the tree upon which the fruit of my heart was growing. But I was mistaken. Don't go. You needn't go on that account. It was another tree. Oh, mither, it was another tree. Weeping on Cheviot's shoulder. Oh, Angus, it was another tree. Weeping on Angus's shoulder. Dina, mither, Dina, I cannot bear it. Weeps. Yes, it was another tree. You can remain there for the present. In point of fact, it was growing on both trees. I don't know how it is, but it seems to grow on a great many trees, a perfect orchard. And you are one of them, my dear. Come, come, don't fret. You are one of them. Enter Minnie and Simpson. Cheviot! What is all this? Cheviot, rapidly referring to piece of paper given to him by Mrs. McFarlane, as if going over a washerwoman's bill. Twenty-four pair of socks, two shirts, thirty-seven collars, one sheet, forty-four nightshirts, twenty-two flannel waistcoats, uh, one white tie. Ridiculous. Quite ridiculous. I won't pay it. Cheviot, who is this person who was found hanging on your neck? Say she is somebody, for instance, your sister or your aunt. Oh, Cheviot, say she is your aunt. I implore you. The three cottagers curtsy and bow to Minnie. Cheviot, say she is your aunt. I command you. Oh, I beg your pardon. I didn't see you. These ladies are... are my washerwomen. Allow me to introduce them. They have come... they have come for their small account. Maggie, who has been sobbing through this, throws herself hysterically onto Cheviot's bosom. There's a discrepancy in the items. Twenty-two flannel waistcoats are ridiculous, and, in short, some washerwomen are like this when they're contradicted. They can't help it. It's something in the suds. It undermines their constitution. 
Cheviot, I should like to believe you, but it seems scarcely credible. Oh, sir, he's nae telling you truly. I'm the pure lowland lassie that he stole the hair out of three months ago and promised to marry. And I love him say weel, say weel, and now he's married to another. Nothing of the kind. I... You are mistaken, and so is your the mother? He is not yet married to anitha another. Why, sir, it took place before my very ain eyes, before I saw to a beautiful lady three months since. Cheviot, say that this is not true. Say that the beautiful lady was somebody, for instance, your aunt. Oh, say she was your aunt, I implore you. Cheviot, say she is your aunt, I command you. Minnie, Simperson, don't believe them. It was no marriage. I don't even know the lady's name. I never saw her before. I've never seen her since. It's ridiculous. I couldn't have married her without knowing it. It's out of the question. Cheviot, let's know exactly where we are. I don't much care whom you marry, so that you marry someone. That's enough for me. But please be explicit, for this is business, and mustn't be trifled with. Tell me all about it. Cheviot in despair. I cannot. Enter Belvorny. I can. Belvorny? I was present when Chevoy and a certain lady declared themselves to be man and wife. This took place in a cottage on the border, in the presence of these worthy people. That's enough for me. It's a Scotch marriage. Minnie, my child, we must find you someone else. Cheviot's married. Belvorny, I am sorry to say, I deprived you of your income. I beg your pardon. Not yet. Why not? In the first place, it's not certain whether the cottage was in England or in Scotland. In the second place, the bride can't be found. But she shall be found. What is her name? That I decline to state. But you shall be made to state. I insist upon knowing the young lady's name. Enter Miss Trahan in a light and cheerful dress. Belvorny, amazed. Belinda Trahan! Miss Trahan, rushing to Minnie. Minnie, my own old friend. Tis she. Miss Trahan turns and recognizes Cheviot. My husband. My wife. Miss Trahan throws herself at Cheviot's feet, kissing his hands rapturously. Belvorny staggers back. <sighs> Minnie faints in her father's arms. Maggie sobs on Angus's breast. End of Act Two.